Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places a dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 80 was recorded live September 1st, 2011. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. This is episode 80. This week, some of the things we'll have in the news. We have a revisit of the sailboat running over the diver. We have a diver surviving a rogue wave, a return to the sea, a blind new hope, and we have a executive patty scuba program. And I would like to welcome to this week's show my co-host, Mac. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you. Glad to be here. And we've we've got a return to the summer with the weather today. I, I've been in work. It was kind of cool when I came into work this morning and I didn't notice it. And I got out tonight and I'm like, we should be out on the lake. It was 93, 94 degrees when I left work. At every place I was at this afternoon, uh, this morning, you're right, it felt pretty good. Uh, at noon, it was like in the high 90s. And when I got back at 4 o'clock, every temperature area I went through starting in uh, – in Berrien Springs was 95, 96, all the way up here. Nice. So, so it was a good day to be underwater in the cool water. It was a bear out in the sun. Yes, it was. Uh, I mean, I wasn't out in it that much, but, you know, when we came ho- home, all the animals were, were sweating. I had to hose off the horses. They were dripping and a good time of the year to be underwater. Yep. That reminds big, us. If you, if, I was going to say big ease on the lake. Visibility was not really good, almost like a fog. Oh, out in the lake? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get get anywhere near the lake today to take a take a look. As close as I got to the lake was my office, which is only about a mile away, but I might get a tunnel from my office right out to Lake Michigan. Now that'd be something. Well, we'll go ahead and start into the news. We have a follow-up of last week's article. We had the uh, video of the week, which was the sailboat running over the diver, and uh, one of the people down in that area of the, the woods, Richard, uh, from uh, one of the Florida Dive Clubs, which will actually be putting their website online here in the next week or so. So keep an eye out for that. But uh, he, he, he's the one who actually linked the video to, to me. He said the Blue Heron Bridge, proposed marine sanctuary in Riviera Beach, has become a very popular dive site in Florida. People from all over come here to dive for its uniqueness. The body of water is salt water, but is sheltered from the ocean by an island. Uh, the actual place to dive is Phil Forest, a beach swim area, and a dive area with a depth no more than 25 feet. The amount of life you see here is amazing, from micro to large life. The sailboat went out of the boat channel into the dive area of the park. So although Mac is right about obstructing traffic, this area is not for boats under power. Uh, the area the boat drove into is only 12 feet deep at high tide, which is, by the way, the main time divers are in the water. Again, the water is shallow here, so no safety stops, but a lot of first-time divers are doing the open water dives. Yes, there was three dive flags that you saw and many more out of view. However, with the open water classes and groups of people diving together, I would say there could have been 10 to 20 divers right there. Now, the boat captain was warned not to go in the area, but did so anyways. Not So not only was he warned not to go in the area, but the dive flags were there. So he is he was understandably upset. Uh, later on in his letter, he goes in to say what really gets him upset is it was easy enough for, for him to be there. It wasn't his group this week, uh, this that time, but it could have easily have been. Was there any other additional feedback of why no action was taken? No, and I think that's why the video is up there and everybody's so ticked to just, you know, I I, I think, uh, well, I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of things you can say. You know, for one thing, sheriff's departments are, you know, can somewhat be mildly political organizations, so... You know, who's to say who that was that was in the boat? Yeah, of course, we're well, only speculating. Yeah, what about the Coast Guard? Don't they have a uh, responsibility for that also? Uh, that's a good point. You know, and, and like say the, say the same thing happened here. Uh, whose jurisdiction would it be? Is the, the Coast Guard get that much up the river? They would get, well, they do their inspections. They get you for your boat safety aspect. Uh, I can't imagine they wouldn't have something to say about that also. Yeah. 
Yeah, and but that's you got video evidence. It seems like that uh, that would have a lot of weight. I would know, think so. Yeah. Yeah, nothing to find. Uh, yeah, it's you know that we just need to get out there do some more educating. Uh, you know, it could easily be me or you or anybody else out there. Uh, well, you know, educating. You know, I'm not sure that's correct because he already knew it not to go there, but he went and violated dive flags. And if he's any kind of boat captain, you ought to know what a dive flag is. Yeah. Well, I think that might be part of the problem. I think there's a lot of people driving boats who have no right to drive boats and also sailboats, uh, you know, not to get into power boat versus sailboats, but some sailboats are used to having the right away. Except when they're not under sail. Exactly. It was under power. Yeah. So, so thank you, Richard, for sending in that. Uh, detail and you know if you or anybody else would have any information as to why they didn't prosecute we'd definitely love to hear about that uh, this next article and i should title this one it could have been us uh, this was out of milwaukee uh, a few different articles we have again as as always we'll have show notes posted it sometimes takes me a couple days to get them on the website but they'll eventually get out there it says divers survive rogue wave capsized veteran captain of uh uh, Divers Delight, which was a custom-made dive boat. His crew and 10 customers were in Lake Michigan. Um, he, the conditions were high. They were calling them two to four foot waves. So he said, we've gone out in conditions a hell of a lot worse. Um, he says, heck, it was a pretty nice day. So two to four foot waves. It happened an instant. Hidden amid two to four foot waves were three monster rogue waves that Ripple swears uh, had to be 10 feet high. They swamped his custom-made 28-foot dive boat, then capsized it. We had just tied off to the wreck buoy, and I was about to call off the dive because it was getting pretty lumpy. I never got the chance. The first two waves swamped the boat. The third rolled it over. It wasn't violent, but there was nothing you could do to stop it. It was the strangest damn thing. These are freak waves that just came out of nowhere. Uh, Ten customers were from Chicago. Two crewmen and Ripple were left floating in the water, churning the lake three miles from White, uh, Whitefish Bay. He says, I think the divers jumped after the second wave hit. They're about 20 feet from the boat when it rolled. The divers, all of whom were wearing wetsuit and Ripple himself had on a T-shirt, climbed onto the overturned boat. His VHS Marine radio was underwater. He used his waterproof cell phone to call his wife at 1034. He said, I told her the damn boat just flipped over and has her call the Coast Guard. So she thought I was kidding. Uh, Mrs. Ripple said, well, he's been known to do a joke once or two times before. It didn't take her long to realize he wasn't kidding. And then her comment was, you wouldn't believe how many Coast Guard numbers there are. They apparently don't have an emergency number. Figured it out eventually and was able to call them. Uh, within minutes, uh, they contacted the Milwaukee Coast Guard uh, back at the overturned boat. Uh, it was a Coast Guard. He said, great, I thought now we're getting somewhere. But they asked where we were. I told them we were on the car ferry Milwaukee. They asked, where was that? Turns out I was talking to New Orleans Coast Guard Station. <laughs> I received a call from Cleveland saying they would pick up the E-perp signal from Ralph's boat, but thankfully I had talked to Ralph, so uh, I knew what was going on. Oh, that was his wife. She told the Milwaukee Coast Guard that her husband's boat's capsized to site a car ferry Milwaukee wreck, a popular dive site within a well-documented location. So she figured the rescuers would find the divers quickly, but it took the Coast Guard nearly two hours to locate the overturned boat. In fact, the divers saw the Coast Guard boat first watch rescuers who were apparently unaware of the correct location of the wreck, unable, unable to see the white hull, the overturned boat, the white cat lakes, pass them by. Miss Ripple said eventually the divers were able to find a flag to boat to, uh, to flag the rescue boat down. I think the Coast Guard did a great job. I can't say anything bad about these guys except they didn't know where the wreck was. Everybody got back safe or sound. I had to give back an $1,100 check, which hurts, but it's much better than money than having somebody hurt. Uh, I, I saw another uh, another article that they had quoted, and his wife says, I bet the guys want their money back. And he said, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, think. Yeah. Now, what about that? I mean, there's a lot to be learned from that story right there. Two to foot four, two to fours, which I would say we've gone out in, not the most pleasant wave height to go in but if you look at the forecast and they you know you, you kind of go by are they building or are they flattening out so we could have easily have, have gone out in conditions like that and you always hear about the rogue waves people say they don't come but there's a lot of uh wrecks that uh even modern wrecks that we know have been caused by rogue waves well last week remember when we were out 
uh, picture shows the swells. The waves weren't too bad, but you got those weird sequence of swells where you were really up and the other one was really down. If yes. you had a, yes. a wonky boat, uh, could have happened. I, I'm sort of curious why it took two hours for the Coast Guard to actually come. And I'm just sort of curious where they were in, re- you know, in, in reference to them. I mean, if you had your emergency beacon go off, I would have thought there would have been a little more activity maybe. I don't know. Well, that's the thing is those EPIRPs, if it's a if it's one that's somewhat modern, they should get GPS coordinates. So uh, they should I was thinking, yeah. So they should be able to hit right out to them. Some of the older ones I believe are beacons, so they you, you know, they can narrow in on them. But yeah, I mean that, that is kind of questioning. I mean, you don't want to criticize. The other thing that it kind of highlights is they didn't know where that dive site was. So is it one of the, does that tell me that maybe we should be giving out uh, wreck maps to the Coast Guard. But then again, how often you've only got one that you, you know, well, that's the Havana. What's the other ones? You know, <laughs> Max Wreck, they're not going to find that one. <laughs> no, no, but you've got, I mean, you've got the Havana and the Rockaway and, you know, we've done the Muskegon and, you know, there's there's a lot of different wrecks. So, I mean, if somebody, you know, the same thing, I'm, and also I'm thinking about the phone. You know, I, none of us have waterproof phones. You know, if the same thing happened, even in Bob's boat, which you know is going to, being a Zodiac, that's going to stay floating for nearly forever. But, you know, when you're, your radio's dead, you know, I don't have anything to call anybody up. Well, I was looking at the aspect two hours in the water, and if they had not had their wetsuits on, and it had been anything but this last two months, you're talking, you know, big time hypothermia. Well, yeah, especially the dive boat captain, because he was in uh, T-shirts. So hopefully he was able to get high on the boat. But, you know, it's bad enough being in the boat in two to four foot waves. Imagine being on the bottom of the boat in two or four yeah. foot waves. Yeah. yeah there's got to be some lessons learned on that one that, again, we should be looking at and doing a an after action report. Yeah. But yeah. that's the nice thing about, you know, operating experiences. You learn from somebody else's errors or problems and hopefully make some kind of plan to compensate for that. So, you know, what if, you know, if this happens, this is what we'll do. Yeah, pre-planning is, is really important, I think, and this shows an example. Yeah, because many times we're not that far away from shore, at least visually. It's kind of an illusion. You can see the the shoreline and houses and stuff from where we dive, but you're still three four miles out, way beyond swimming distance. Yeah, I was just looking at that because, you know, ours is like three miles and a half or so, and this was three miles out. Yeah, yeah so you're yeah, tantalizingly just, close. Yeah, like you'd think, well, heck, I got my suit on. I can swim there. Yeah. Well, we've had, what, two drownings in the last week up here? Oh, yeah. And that wasn't in, in bad weather. No. No, we have had some riptide-type events, but uh, nothing as bad as what we could, we have had in the past. So, But thankfully, everybody was safe on this, and it's something that we can learn from and, and uh, go and improve. Yeah, that's a good article. I'm glad you had that one. The next one we have up on the list is uh, Huron Island Dive Festival. Uh, to hear about uh, turtle, sea turtles' plight, uh, Huron Island is one of the top destinations in Australia. It's celebrating that with a dive festival next week. Uh, there will be diving industry leaders, world-renowned speakers, and the festival talking about a variety of subjects from coral varieties to how to take beautiful underwater photos, secret of seahorses, and, of course, classes on how to scuba dive. So head on over to the show notes, and if you're down from down under and and see what it is and you know we got craig and some of the people down there maybe they they can tell us that's i I, to me you know it's just an island how far can it be Hmm. interesting as a side note real quick Uh i went ahead and double checked on that coast guard rescues 13 that gave us a little more information on the rogue wave item too oh did it yeah yeah it was their perspective meaning the coast guard just directed yeah the the uh that the Coast Guard Rescues 13 from capsized boat was published right. the day or the, but within hours of it happening, I think. That was from the Milwaukee Sentinel, uh, their online site. Yeah, because it talked about they did it did send out a distress signal at 10:38. Coast Guard at the 9th District was alerted, uh, but it didn't give the response time here. But uh, it was still interesting to see a different perspective. Yeah, that was the one where at the very end it says, "I to- I told them I suppose they want their money back." <laughs> yeah, that's the one. All right, yeah. sorry about that. I can go back to your turtle. Oh, no, 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 that was fine. Uh, so there, there's the turtle. Next one up on the list is returning to the sea. Uh, Dave Riley was a rescue diver for the Coast Guard for 14 years. It was his passion, mission, life. 
but a bacterial infection from the ocean stripped it away. He woke up with no arms, no legs, and extreme pain, he, re- he recounts. Uh, he had trouble uh, moving, but more than anything else, he had trouble living. He says, at one point, I was in a closet with a gun. I did some self-examination, decided that uh, life was worth living. Uh, he wanted to return to sea, but he had first had, learned, had to learn how to scuba dive again. His first training session was on Wednesday with his uh, scuba coach, Frank Dengen, uh, Deegan, D-E-G-N-A-N. Sometimes teaching scuba is a job, but the best job in the world. When you get guys like this, it makes you look forward to coming back the next day. Uh, they say Riley will have to train for a few more days. When his skill improves, he'll be ready for his first ocean dive. To be back out with the marine life is just going to be life-changing for me, he said. And there is a video, which you can watch. I haven't had a chance to watch the video, but just an amazing story. Makes me reminds me of the Dive Hard organization. But they show him doing some of his pool stuff, and he has no arms and no legs. I saw the one picture, and you can see his uh, prosthetics and his arms. I don't know how far down, like the elbow or whatever, but it doesn't matter. To me, is the, the, I don't know how I would react like that. And he, he obviously did in a positive direction. Yes. And and like you are saying, that's the kind of people who's got to come up and, you know, and tell people, you know, there is something after some tragedy like this. Well, that's hard. I mean, I can't imagine losing. I cannot either. All, all mobility. I'm just so thankful that doesn't happen to me but it's good that there are people taking their time to donate to help him get back in the water because he's going to have to have people help him i'm i'm presuming uh i don't know i mean maybe the prosthetics are that good or he's got that amount of skill where he can put all his gear together but i'm betting he's going to need a little bit of assistance oh i'm I'm sure he will and it's still though the aspect he didn't quit he didn't give up you know with, with that disability he's still getting out there giving it a shot and then that leads right into the next article which is uh uh, a blind girl has just earned her scuba certification. Uh, she had been blind since birth, uh, but one young woman from New Hope isn't letting that stop her from achieving her next goal, which she wants to swim with the sharks. Ashley Duncan completed her final dive today at Lock Levon Park in Apple Valley to earn her scuba certification. She performed well in all the tasks of being a diver, setting up her gear, getting to water, performing underwater skills, and completing an underwater tour all by touch. Fantasy Scuba helped certify uh, her today. The company has several instructors that teach handicapped scuba diving. And that one has a, has a video as well. That, that to me, would, would have to be tough, too. I mean, in one, one aspect, you got somebody who, who doesn't have the use of the limbs, and here's somebody who doesn't have the, the use of their, their eyesight. Again, it just shows you the, the, the drive that some people have. And this next one is Swim with the Sharks to Support Charity. Uh, the Blue Planet Aquarium is trying to raise money for the muscular dystrophy campaign. Uh, the Cheshire Oaks and muscular dystrophy campaign are searching for brave men and women to swim, to swim with the predators of the deep in order to raise money to fight disease. One of the sharks, which a staff facility is named Storm, is 12 feet long. There are several different species of animals join thousands of other fish in this huge fish tank. Interested people are being asked to raise sponsorship money and contact the attraction before taking the plunge. Doing this enables individuals to come face-to-face with nature's most feared creatures of the deep. Uh, They said it's a great way for us to raise money. And this is in the UK. And then um, this this next one is, I'm always interested in some of the ways that dive shops are trying to grow the sport or uh, keep viable as a business. This one is... um, Montreal Total Diving, which I, which from my opinion, I've never been up there, but just from chatting with the owner a few times back and forth on Facebook, uh, he really seems to go out of his way to promote the business. And they're offering a new executive patty scuba program, and they're offering the Holiday Inn at the Montreal airport. Uh, the um, program is designed to suit the needs of busy executives who need a custom-made schedule to learn to scuba dive before their vacations down south. The goal is to learn scuba diving before going on vacation so that you can really enjoy your vacations without having to study to do them. Uh, that's uh, Darcy Curlian. And I'm, 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 he, he's going to have to tell me how to pronounce his name, so uh, I, I can't do it. But he's the course director and president of Total Diving. The program is designed to suit the needs of out-of-town travelers who would like to benefit from uh, their diving. Uh, the indoor pool to Montreal Airport Holiday Inn makes you feel like a tropical oasis. In the atrium, you can enjoy the tropical holiday all year round. 
the Total Diving is a Patty Career Development Center. Uh, now, what I thought is interesting about this, Mac, is what do other dive shops think about this? I mean, this this is similar to Thailand and some of the other locations where they're trying to encourage people to travel and stop in just to get their certification. Now, I don't picture too many people jumping on a plane to Montreal, but I guess if you were in Canada somewhere, uh, that might make sense where you know you could come on in and into the area and, and get some dive training. I wonder if this is a certification program or if it's like the, um, I, I do want to say visitor's course, what I'm trying to think of. That. Well, the, the, a lot of the, the shops around here will do that, where you'll do your your classroom uh, and your everything up to your open water, and then you go and you, what do they call that, resort certification or where wow. you can go get the certification down there. Uh, most dive shops, it will, if you want that to- sort of certification, ask your dive shop, and they are able to offer that. They, sh- they should be able to. If not, you know, I hate to say it, but go find another dive shop, and they'll, and they'll do it. Uh, yeah. But the only downside to something like that is that you don't have the continuity that you do in getting all your certification all at the same place. But it does give you more time at your destination. Uh, as yeah. I, I'm curious how that really works, though, because I can understand the one-on-one and you can do the, the administrative or the, the learning part, and you can do the pool part, but I'm not sure how you get your qualification dives, meaning your open water dives, because mm-hmm. it really didn't talk about that aspect, so I was just sort of curious. Yeah, I but know I get, that how the dive shops here do it is, uh, I mean, there, there's two different ways to do it. One is you take it from them, and then you just happen to book a trip with them. So the instructor is basically taking a trip with you, and you do the open water down there. And some will actually do everything but the open water, and then they'll work with a corresponding, uh, you know, PADI approved if you got PADI training or now if it was now a training course, and then you just finish that part of it. Uh, so it must be allowed. I haven't heard anybody doing that. would be a good question to ask Claire next time she's on. How yeah. That, well, how the details of that work out? Because it, it it's also to me different if you're learning to dive in the north and you're learning to dive in the south because that coldness and visibility and you know what I'm saying. There's a big difference between having the class work done and the pool work, and then you're open water. Well, what we need to do, Max, is we have to come up with some sort of program that we can get these people who have done just that. How do we get them to dive here? My chiropractor and her receptionist both are certified scuba divers, and they have yet to ever dive in Michigan. Well, my optometrist is a certified diver. He worked actually over the club 20, 25 years ago in his boy, and they dive specifically several times a year down south. And I mean down where it's really nice, the islands. If you can afford to, that's great. And they get some time in, but you don't see them up here. I mean, do they just not like the diving up here? Or they just never tried it. Oh no, he's 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 been up here, but he's like he's not a mud diver per se. Mm-hmm. And again, visibility, uh, the sea life. You know, up here, either you you like to do video, you like to do photography, you like to do metal detecting, you like to do scrounging, uh, grubbing, bottle collecting. You, you have to some have to have something you like to do. And if you just like to look and see and look at the fish life, you're not going to get a lot of that up here. You don't have the colors. You don't have the warmth. You don't have the variety. That's true. I mean, I, I would have to say I, I think that the shipwrecks diving would kind of match that. But I guess it depends on what you're really into. If you're not into the shipwrecks, then then maybe that goes. And then uh, that's one thing I that I always enjoy doing is uh, when, I, when we're doing a beach dive or a shore dive from one of the inland lakes. I like to take a little bit of time. There's a lot of a lot of that life is in that you know six inches to five foot range that many divers when they're doing a shore dive just walk right on past. So uh, you know even at Lake 16 you can find quite a bit there, especially early and late in the oh. season. So, but yeah. And, need- and the other aspect though, when we say shipwreck diving, there, there's a difference between rubble wrecks like what we have, and when you actually have good intact large wrecks like you do up north. And when mm-hmm. I say up north, you're talking Sheboygan, Mackinac right. City area, or up in Lake Superior. But again, you got a different element there. You've got cold, you've got darkness, and you don't have the, the fish life. And you do start, I mean, we're beginning to have some of the visibility now. I mean, we've had 80 foot on ours. Yeah. So we've got some visibility, but you still have some other detractors that other people are not comfortable with. Yep. But uh, I, I think, but I think a lot of them haven't even given it a chance. Maybe I'm wrong, but 
I would like to encourage some of these people. But you want to do it the right time. You know, we don't want to do it in, in March where the water temps. Well, I'd like to see there. Well, it's like right now, there's hundreds and hundreds of people in our area who are certified divers, and I would love to see some people out there diving. I'm just not seeing them. Obviously, I'm a little more fortunate in being able to dive during the week, but even on the weekends, I'm a lot of the guys who are diving, like for the fire department and the sheriff department that we worked with last weekend, they're not diving for fun. They basically dive because it's a job, and it's a good thing we have them, but we're not seeing them dive socially mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? yeah how to get them doing otherwise if it's a job then you don't do it as a social activity if you do it you know yeah that's true and then the other thing is maybe we just need to do you know expand the club somehow where we maybe we do a southern dive trip you know like how we do sheboygan maybe we need to do the same thing in february or march where we're doing something that we could capture some of those warm weather divers but then again, you're talking of limiting how many people do it because it's all economics. Yep, very true, very true. But you know, one thing I would like to do, maybe we'll we'll tr- we'll try and get some like this. But I'd love to do the uh, Bone Air Mind sometime this year. And then we got Cooper River coming up too. So yes, I'm looking forward to that one. Yep. Yeah, Rich was talking about it just last week when I was chatting with him. He's he's looking all forward to it. And to continue on with the news, the next one was uh, Maine's High Court ruling expands scuba divers' beach rights. Uh, to kind of paraphrase what's going on in a 6-0 decision last week, uh, the court upheld the right of an Eastport scuba diver to reach the Pascamaki Koto Bay <laughs> by crossing the wet sand of the beach property owned by a neighbor. The public's rights to use the intertidal zone, the land between the medium high and medium low tide marks has long been a bone of contention in Maine where coastal ownership law dates back to the 17th century ordinance limiting public use of the area between the high and low tide to fishing, fouling, and navigation. So uh, they said uh, although the decision uh, was unanimous, the judges split three and three on interpretation of why scuba diver is allowed to use the zone. Uh, uh, Chief Justice Leigh Safi emphasized the ruling's narrow scope when she wrote, because the relevant activity here involves the use of intertidal land only to enter the sea rather than to stand or stay, we do not determine whether other additional uses of intertidal zone follow the public trust rights, including the use of surfing. Instead, we leave that question to evolution of this area of common law for future determination. Uh, Safi and two concurring judges hearken back to historic origins of the Bay Colony in 1647, which allowed private ownership of intertidal lands to promote commerce for the encouragement of construction of wharves at private expense. Uh, three justices argued for broader public reach to coastal beaches, except to the extent that those rights might fear the rights of the landowner to wharf out. So uh, my interpretation is saying, you know, you can't restrict what's going to happen as long as you're in the intertidal zone, with the exception is that you can build a wharf or dock. I also found it interesting that the people who really did that were surfers on mm-hmm. behalf of the National Surf Rider. As a side note, the aspect about pier jumping laws uh, appeared to prevent people from jumping off the pier. Yes. Because they were taking it to the aspect of everybody in the world. They didn't take into account divers who use it as a exit point for diving. And they didn't take into account those using it for an exit point for surfers. And that was in our local area. They use it to get out there in, in the high sea times so they can surf. As opposed to trying to beat yourself up, trying to get a quarter mile off, you, you take the, the piers out. And they're the ones who actually got everybody in Michigan on, uh, on the heads up saying certain people are trying to pass laws in different areas in, in the state to not allow anybody. And that was the, the bad part of the law. It didn't give you any exceptions that you could not jump off a pier. Yes. And there, of course, here is to um, minimize the number of kids who are jumping off in rough seas and occasionally drowning. You know, laws, how do you do, you know, if, it, if you're going to be stupid, I'm not sure a law is going to apply. No. <laughs> and, and if you look at the number of drownings that have occurred, it's usually adults, not children. And it's generally uh, alcoholic. Uh, intoxication is a part of it, and it's like they overreach themselves. 
Certainly. Uh, again, it was the surfing people who, who got on the ball and started opening this up, and then some of the divers got on board. Yeah, yeah, because you can't legislate stupid. <sighs> or safety. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you can try, but accidents happen. Yeah. And again, when it's flat out there and the kids want to jump off the pier, other than they should really know what's under it before they jump off a certain part, I got no problem. They're not going to get – everybody's done it. You got a gale warning. That's a little different. And the rip, you know, if you got a riptide out there, again, if everybody said, no, you can't do it, then they won't have any drownings. Well, yeah, nobody can have any fun either. Very true. This next one is, or the last one of this week, is Unusual Race for Divers. Opura's Port Valley Underwater Club is hoping to win one of Northland's most unusual races for the fourth year in a row this Saturday. It's the 29th Russell to Piaire. Piaia. Why do I do this to myself? Snorkel scuba race starts at 10 a.m. with teams of five snorkelers taking turns to turns to tow a decoy duck, the baton, across the three and a half kilometer Veronica Channel. As a boat is moored, the duck is passed to a scuba diver who has to tow it to shore and sprint up Kling's Beach to the finish line. The diver's underwater navigation skills are often crucial to the end the end result. Organizers this year. Uh, by Praia Dive, up to the eight teams are expected to take part double last year's tally. So this looks like a snorkeling relay race. And this is what, uh, not Australia, but New Zealand? New Zealand. Yeah. So that'd be an interesting event. I still think we got to get something, either one of those scooter races or something going on around here. <laughs> Maybe that's something. And then don't forget, uh, the, we have a video this week. You head over to the Scuba Obsessed website. It will probably be below the show notes if you get there after the show notes. But we've got a link there to a video, and it is a scuba diving chimpanzee. So, And I was very surprised when it's not with a helmet like the dogs and cats. This is a guy, I mean, a, a chimpanzee with a regulator in his mouth, and it's like, it, it's, it's freaking amazing. Yep. The, the chimpanzee is called Cooper the Chimp. Uh, last year they got him in the pool swimming around, and most people who know chimps say that they really don't like to get wet. They're not real fond of the water. And when you watch the video, you can actually see he's he's in the water, he grabs the regulator, and he's on the surface and he goes down. You can see the regulator free-flowing. I think it's because he's just holding that regulator so tight in his hand, but he's breathing off of it all the way to the bottom and then comes up on his own. Uh, and then if you listen to the video, go ahead. I was going to say, it's different. It's, 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 it's really interesting. Yep. And at one point you hear him say, don't bite. So if you're, if you're a dive instructor, you have to be thankful that you don't have to uh, say that too often to your students. And that does it for this week for the news. So that was kind of a full week in the news. Unfortunately, uh, this last week, I, I didn't get a chance to go diving. I was watching the lake conditions, and the weather looked really bad. So it didn't Which seem day? that... Uh, pardon me? What day did it look bad? Uh, sa- both Saturday and Sunday. They just didn't seem... To, it was on the, the choppy side. Did, did somebody go out and I didn't know? <laughs> <laughs> I was working, uh, you know, the, the recovery effort, so yeah. I was on a different lake. But I did dive uh, Monday out there, and it was absolutely great. It was, it was really flat. But let me tell you, you had a surface current that if you jumped off the boat and didn't have a, a line behind you, uh, you were gone. You had to sort of paddle pretty good to get back to the boat just getting off. Yeah, I've had those events happen a few times. That water, even when it's flat, can look a little innocent. I almost wonder sometimes that it seems that it seems to happen more when it when it is dead calm flat out there. Well, you know the uh, the buoy we've been using out there by uh, Bridgman? Yes. That was taken in and serviced this week. Uh, oh, Dave Faulkner gave me a buzz and said, hey, just what I saw just going down the river. And I said, what? And he said, well, they're towing the buoy back out. I never realized it was gone. But I did notice something interesting that I had mentioned, uh, that when we had gone out on uh, Monday uh, to check the structure, uh-huh. I went and checked the buoy results. And the buoy said it was 75 at the surface, 73 at 30 feet, and 74 at 60. All right? So. Yeah. Going out to the structure, since we're only talking 40 feet, it's like, ain't going to be a big deal. But I wore my normal stuff. Dave almost did not until I did. And we got down, and that buoy was lying. I mean, even though it's like 14 miles apart, the water temperatures were totally different. 
you got down about 25 feet and it was like, oh my God, I'm sure glad I wore a hood and gloves. So do you think that was a case of the, the di- there was a big difference between the locations or uh, was there something wrong? No, I think it's the locations for one and you have different currents. And um, I didn't really notice. Actually, I did notice. Uh, one was coming out of the northwest and I'm trying to remember what it was like last week when we were diving. It was if it was opposite or not. No, it was coming straight out of the north when we were diving it last. Remember? Yeah. But yeah. the visibility. My point was, uh, you had a delta there, and the visibility on the structure was maybe five feet. And I know the delta we had last time, we had zero, almost you know five feet, maybe on the other wreck. Your delta was about uh, five feet off the bottom between hot and cold. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if maybe that was why the visibility is still low again. Yeah. I'm looking at the buoy right now, and it says at the surface it's 78 degrees. At 13 feet, which is what, probably three and a half meters, it's uh, 75 degrees. And you get down to 62 feet, and it's 49. So it's a pretty steady fall down there. My, I can believe I'm, I bet the viz is better today than we had it last week. I, I, I would think so. Right now, the significant wave height is uh, uh, about two-tenths of a foot. Oh, it's flat then. Yeah. What's the frequency? Frequency. Right under it. Yeah, well, it. it just shows nothing, so it can't oh, get a reading. All right. So that so, yeah, a two tenths like of a foot could be uh, could even be boats. <laughs> we could be doing a night dive tonight. Oh, we could. Darn it. Yeah, that would be it'd be beautiful for it. You look at that right there. Yeah. Now, so. Need GPS to find your way back though, if the fog is still there. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Make sure you got lights and horns and everything you need for safety for that, but. That'd be yep. great to be to be diving. What are we doing doing this show? We should be out there diving. I was <laughs> earlier. You were? So where were you diving today? Well, say so we did Niles again on Friday, the river, which was nice. Uh, then we spent uh, Saturday and Sunday working with the, uh, the fire department and the sheriff departments at Indian Lake. Um, we were able on Sunday in the afternoon to do free stuff, and we went back out and redove some targets we had found during the week. And found three more boats and four more possibilities we haven't dove yet, which was fun. Excellent. And then uh, Monday went back, like I said, out on the structure with Dave. He wanted to get back out there. And it was it was very pleasant. Did a little bit of writing. And then uh, I took Mary Beth for her first uh, river dive and grubbing episode today. And again, the river was very good. Uh, visibility was nice. Current was not bad. Uh, if people are not hitting that river now, this is tremendously unusual. To have that viz with no current, uh, they're yeah. missing an opportunity to do. I mean, fish were everywhere. It was absolutely gorgeous. Nice. Yeah, I, I need to. I need to get in there. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sometime. Sometime this week, and I got to fit it in. Maybe Monday. Maybe I'll be able to get uh, it in Monday. Both uh, Larry, Sir Larry, and uh, Ken are going to be off next week. Uh, they cannot go up to Sheboygan, so they're going to try to get some diving in during the week. So you might want to tag with them. For one, I think they're definitely talking about the river because, again, if you don't get in the river right now, you're really missing an opportunity. And the leaves are gone. Remember when you got in last year? Mm-hmm. All the leaves because it was already in the middle of the freaking winter. Yeah. And it's really nice because there's no ice out there right now. So uh, you're going to love it because you haven't been out there when it's like that. No, I haven't seen it when there hasn't been leaves out. The leaves are already starting to fall in the river and cover everything up. So the problem with that is... You couldn't just skim over the top and look at tasty spots. You had to brush the leaves away, which lowered the viz. And we also had some interesting currents we were fighting. Yeah. So you need to get out there. Next week is going to be a good opportunity. At the least, they may go out and look for some of those boats that we found. Uh, we're looking for a, one to sail boat because uh, you can actually see the, the hull. It almost looks like a uh, sunfish, a very small, thin boat with a sail on it. And everything less than 20 feet. Hmm. Uh, but the bottom is extremely, extremely mucky. We did find one target. Um, you know how that light bar on the back of the, the pontoons look? They're yeah. going to either tow a yeah. sail or tow a or, um, whatever. Uh, on one of them, it showed the outline of a boat with something jutting up. Well, when you hit the bottom, it's almost acting like a sub-bottom profiler because you don't see the boat. Except in this case, you run because we had low vis. You ran into this big pipe that's sticking up, and you feel it, and it feels like the light bar type. Jim went down one side, totally disappeared. Uh, he went down six feet, found the flange. We don't know what the flange went to because he didn't go any deeper. I went down on my side six feet, and it split out like in a T or a junction. But again, since we're 
six feet under the blankety blank surface, if you want to call it that. Uh, and we hadn't planned on that. We weren't prepared for that kind of, you know, what happens if type. Uh-huh. So we didn't explore it anymore. We thought we'd come back to it a little later using a, uh, a free flow rig that I know won't jam up on me whenever I go under the suck, you know, under the silt and the soft pack to find out what that was attached to. Huh. And then talking to Ken, it's like, remember the amusement rides they had out there? And it's like, oh, maybe it is. So we need to go back out and check that. When you say amusement rides, that's interesting. But yeah, back in the in the day, they had several purveyors out there that had either very huge slides where they, nowadays you couldn't do it because the lawyers would be all over you. You're talking four-story high ladder you climb up with a slick slide that goes down like a, you know, like a slide. Hmm. Another one was like that, only it had a four-wheel dolly car. You sat in the dolly car. You went down, you hit the end of it, which was like a, a water stop. The car flipped, and you went ass end over tea kettle. It looked awesome looking at some of the old pictures. And this is in Indian Lake? Yes. Wow. But, uh, oh, so we're, we're just pumped to go check that out. Huh. And, if, again, if you looked at Mary Beth, you can see that she did, for a brand-new novice, uh, she did pretty good on her collection. Did she get a pipe? No, she didn't. She oh, got okay. a medicine <laughs> She did get a medicine bottle. She got a medicine bottle. Looks like a milk bottle too in there. Yes, she did actually. Yeah. And then an embossed pot bottle. What What was the markings on that that pot bottle? It was It was um. Well, one of them was silkscreen on the back side, and it looked like an old chocolate. And one she had. Um. And I'm not even sure if it's in the picture. You know how you get these genie bottles? It comes down. It blossoms out like in a round bulb. Goes down to a narrow waist and then goes back out. I call uh-huh. it my genie bottle. She had one of those, and I, I didn't look at it well enough to – I probably would have taken it had I looked at it well <laughs> enough. It looked like a very interesting bottle, and I don't remember seeing it on that at, on the tarp. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it now on the tarp, and I'm not seeing it. So now i got to figure out where that bottle went, unless she was hiding it. Maybe yeah. she knows me better who was hiding yeah, it. Yeah, so you weren't, you, when you weren't looking, she, she went and did it. But that is an excellent haul, for, especially for her first time. So oh, you, yeah. You, you, get yeah. That, you get that out of the way. So now she knows to grab everything. Well, like I said, we, it's uh, one of those lesson dives, so we need to get a little more weight on her. Um, she got a little flotation there in the back leg, so if she put the uh, ankle weights on, she'll be fine. She'll trim out. But we're just getting some of the bugs out of her gear. Excellent. So it looked like a great again, dive. Yeah. Again, if I took a novice out there, it had to be good, and it was. Uh, Jake went with us, and he's, of course, beating himself up for not taking his hookah rig. He's got that electric hookah rig. Yeah, and that was an yeah. ideal for what we were digging. Uh huh. Now of course, he says he he says he'll do the hooker rig, but he won't do scuba. Well, he doesn't like things that sneak up on him, like like weeds and stuff. But where we were diving was strictly sand. He wouldn't have had any problem with sand. Well, the, if you, we've told him that wreck diving, there's no weeds. Right. So yeah, we just have to keep working on it. Maybe we'll get him in there eventually. Well, we can get a couple of good dives for him that he won't get spooked. His confidence level will go up. Yeah. Yeah, and then then the the prospect of loot. She brings this back, and what's he been bringing back from uh, from metal detecting? Uh, a couple rings and a coin. Yeah, but uh, you know, Mary, remember that quartz that Mary Beth brought to the dive meeting? Yeah, I'm still I don't understand where she found that one. She showed me. It's like it shouldn't have been there, but it was. So we've been there looking for more quartz, and then I found that. I keep telling you I was going to go to the second bottle dump on the other side of the bridge. Yes. Yep. Well, I went there this week and spent a good number of hours, uh, and it's it's really fun over there. You you look in the roots of the the root balls. Mm-hmm. You got bottles embedded into the tree. Uh, I found traps in the tree roots. It you was s- great fun. When you say traps, you mean like the uh, animal the, traps, like animal. the muskrat traps. Yep, and mole traps that are three feet long. Whoa! <laughs> I had never seen one like that. A mole huge. trap that's a mold? You mean that's like the, the it looks spikes? Like those, the spikes, three feet long. That Is that a scuba diver trap or a mole trap? Well, I think it was a mole trap, or they might have been trying to get muskrats, but that was the biggest one I'd ever seen. I didn't know they made them that big. Did you get it? No, I, no, I left it. There. There's so much junk over there. Uh, and it starts there at the American Legion sign uh-huh. where the bus is. You go down, and then when you go, oh, maybe. 150, 200, 200 feet, there's a, looks like a creek is coming out. Okay. Well, it's not a normal creek. If you follow that path back through the the, the uh, foliage, you'll find where the bluff is collapsed back there. 
and there's a big um, gash into the earth where it's washed out. Yeah. And the first tree I went to, that's about four foot off the ground where the roots are coming out, I'm seeing all sorts of uh, uh, shards, pottery shards. So obviously I get up there and climb up there, and I got a half shell suit on, sweating to death. But I took a hole with me, and I start digging around. And first thing I got is a medicine bottle, and I do another one. There's another bottle. It's the um, the square, like the ball jar, only it's square, and it's got the birdcage top. Hmm. The, you know, the wire birdcage like you have on a beer bottle? Yeah. On some yeah. of the old beer bottle? So, oh, yeah, the hunting looks really good. So I'm waiting till the, uh, I think, this winter, like October, November, whenever the weeds and start going away and the uh, poison ivy and oak is a little less prominent, mm-hmm. uh, that might be a real good place to, to have some fun. Yeah. Yeah, my, uh, my father-in-law used to have a house about where you're talking about that gashes. Well, there's a, there's an undercut in one of those places that's maybe 15 feet high, and you do not want to dig in there because that, that wall looks like it's going to go, and if it goes, you're dead. Yeah. Uh, so there's a few places you do want to be careful, uh, and even up where I was at, the ground was actually very soft, so you better have some options if it starts to give way on, on where you're going to go. Now, how did the riverboat dock, because the, the, the Grand May went up there, and Ferry Street, which is where the bridge goes across, used to be where the old riverboat used to go down. So I know that bridge has moved, but I think pretty much where that, in the line where that bridge is, is where the Grand May used to stop. But I seems like I remember hearing that it was it stopped pretty much out in the middle of the river, and then there's a plank that went out. Yeah, Yeah, that's the deep part. But you figure before the dam, that river was navigable all the way to St. Joe. Yes. That's when people keep trying to tell me that. There's certain spots of it which are really shallow. Makes me think of it had to be navigable. Were they dredging it? I mean, how would you get a riverboat even where you just had to know the right time of the year when the water was high? I'd imagine that's part of it there. And the other was you're talking most of those are flat bottom barges is what they were using to transport a lot of traffic on. Yeah, it was a paddle boat. Right, but the but the uh, the Graham and a few of those obviously were not flat bottom boats. But uh, you did have a lot deeper section through the middle. Mm-hmm. So a good pilot was what you needed to navigate. Yeah. Because in those days, before you know, pre-train, you know, you didn't want to have to go and haul everything in a tiny little cart. Much better to load it in a boat and float it on down. Well, you know, really, you only had maybe 50 years of traffic, boat traffic, on that stretch of river. Now, I, I'm not counting canoes and some flat-bottom, you know, barges or rafts, but you really only had 50, 55 years of good traffic. Well, because what's the, the courthouse in Bering Springs? It was 1860? Uh, that one, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. So, know. you know, let's figure, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. It wasn't a, there wasn't a whole lot of time because shortly after the riverboat, then you had the trains. I mean, well, you started we, having the dams for the, for the hydroelectric and stuff. You started knocking down the navigation. Yes. Uh, yeah. A couple of the bridge of uh, the dams actually had locks, but because of other modes of transportation, the locks became in disrepair and they didn't use them. And therefore you could only navigate to certain places. Oh, I, I wasn't aware that they had locks. Oh, yeah. That's like uh, probably one of the most interesting dives or, or places to find would be the uh, steamer or steamboat called the Davy Crockett. Actually, and that, that's, that sank actually, I think it was a little bit after the real Davy Crockett got killed at the Alamo. Now, that's north of Berrien Springs. Really? Yes. And that would be a really interesting boat to find or the remnants of it because obviously that's been a long time. But that's you're talking some history there. Now, when you say north of Bering Springs, you're meaning up I in the. Got, I think we've got a location, and I'll have to find it from Jim. We were looking up some of that stuff. Huh. That I want to. I'd like to just go through and cruise it. Actually, I need two people. I need somebody to take me up and somebody to pick me up downstream. But I want to drift dive it in the area that I think that was at, and then see if there's any timbers left. When we went to the island, I uh, remember two weeks ago we went over and started playing around there. Yes. All right, remember who the wheel is that used to be in the water, submerged, and you could see it sometimes, sometimes you couldn't? Yes. All right, we put that up on shore about 20 more feet. Down from that about 50 feet, that was either the remnants of a boat or a pier. Did you realize that? That piece Uh, of wood sticking uh, out is not a log. (laughs) Well, there used to be, you know, 15, 20 years ago, a structure on the end of the island that was almost... I haven't shown you the pictures of that, have I? No, I don't think I've seen those photos. I'll send some pictures this week of the motors and the pumps and the uh, pump house that's in there on the island. 
But what was sort of odd is I went back the opposite direction, back on the side that we are on of where the bluff is. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, even though it's weedy, I went back there and it's like, whoa, I'm finding all sorts of um, concrete structure that has been torn up. So it may have been on both sides of the lake there. Yeah. Well, there was I mean, right where that there's been four bridges across the river right there at the bottom. So you and then I do believe I'll have to look through some of my notes. I do believe there actually was a bridge to the island at one point. I do, too. And I, I don't have any old pictures and I'd like to have a picture. of. Yeah, because I, cause I think that was the early 1900s or something when that was going on. But uh, OK, well. I, th- I think we've just about done it for that that sort of talk. I could go on forever, but I'm sure a lot of other people are, are, are more than ready to. I don't know if they'd be looking forward to this last part or not. Uh, the potential is what I always look at of what's out there. And it's like me. I'm a treasure hunter. It's, I'm not going to get rich at it. I'm not going to find any gold. But just finding like that Indian rock, it's like that's interesting. I find it very fulfilling to me. Well, anything you see that you know, hasn't been seen in 80, 90 years. It may never be seen again. That's like a little bit of history you get to peer into. You know, somebody moved something, did something for that to be where that is at, that you find it. And to find a clay pipe like last week in the middle of nowhere, not broken, just, it just boggles my mind because they're fragile and how that, that managed to exist there for that long. How many freezes, thaws, Opening the dam, closing the dam, does that have to survive for you to be able to find it? Yeah. So always changing. Yeah, love it. So you ready? I am ready. I'm, I'm holding on to my chair. Okay. <laughs> on a charter dive trip, two blind pilots, both wearing dark glasses. One is using a guide dog and the other is tapping his way along the aisle with a cane. Nervous laughter spreads to the cabin. But the men enter the cockpit, the door closes, and the engines start up. The passengers begin glancing around nervously, searching for some sign that this is a little practical joke. None is forthcoming. The plane moves faster and faster down the runway. The people sitting in the windows' seats realize they're headed straight for the water at the edge of the airport. As it begins to look like the plane is will plow into the water, panic screams fill the cabin. At that moment, the plane lifts smoothly into the air. The passengers relax and laugh a little sheepishly, and soon all retreat to their magazine, securing the knowledge the plane is in good hands. In the cockpit, one of the blind pilots turns to the other and says, you know, Bob, one of these days they're going to scream too late and we're all going to die. <laughs> I wonder how much truth there is in that. <laughs> It would be bad, bad to find out. The other part of this, I'm wondering, how did they land? <laughs> that uh, seems like that'd be the hardest part. Well, they're going to land, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's true. You, you always land. Yeah, they're always going to come down. So until next time, go out there and get wet and be safe, people. Wobble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. That's what like blooper reels are for. Yeah. I got to put one of those together sometime. <clears throat> and, and. Call recording has been completed.